A very good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you all here um, to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and to take time to delve into his word. Um, I just thought perhaps tonight, since we have an open subject, that we would just look through the book of Matthew. So feel free to turn to the book of Matthew with me. We'll be looking at a couple of scriptures centered around uh, the person of Christ as the Son of God. Um, I've been looking through the Gospels just through the month of January, and as I was looking through Matthew, I was looking at the titles um, that Christ was addressed as um, as he walked his life on earth. And one that constantly popped up for me was he was addressed as the Son of God. So I thought tonight, again, we could just take some time to look into that title. What, who was the Son of God to various people? And obviously, Christ is the greatest role model that we could possibly have, so we'll take some examples from him as well um, and some challenges to our own life. But before we open the word, perhaps let's take time to pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this evening where we can come together, where we can open your scriptures and look at your word. We do just pray that you would allow us to learn from your scriptures, that you would let us apply it to our lives, Lord, that we might learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ today, uh, about your Son who you sent down to earth um, and who Submit it to your will, dying for us, that we might be saved. We do just thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown unto us and for that sacrifice and for the certainty of eternity that we have through him. So again, we do just pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we'll be looking at five passages of scripture tonight. Um, again, in the book of Matthew, first of all, um, looking at God. Um, and his relationship to Christ. Secondly, looking at the disciples and how they viewed um, Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Thirdly, we'll be looking at what Christ said himself about who he was. And then lastly, we'll be looking at man's sort of answer, sorry, man's acknowledgement, um, where we have the centurion addressing and saying, surely this was the Son of God. But we'll just take some time to read scripture. If you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So here we're at the beginning of Christ's public ministry on earth. He's grown up as that child, the son of Joseph and Mary. And now we see here that this is him coming out. He's being baptized. There's a declaration of who he is before he goes into that public ministry, which we see in the rest of Matthew in the form of miracles, parables, and eventually, ultimately, his sacrifice. 
And it's such a wonderful thing laying out right at the beginning of the New Testament, right at the beginning um, in those early chapters. We have God declaring who this person is. This is the main character which we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus, the Son of God. And it's God's declaration looking down from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's a setting of the scene, a setting of the tone, an introduction from God above. This is God looking down. The heavens are opened. The heavens were opened to him. This is divine communication. We see a presence of the Trinity. We have the Son of God. We have God. And then we have the Spirit of God. All three um, present at this declaration, this proclamation. It's a declaration recorded for us at that beginning of the loving nature and pleasure that God had in Christ. This is my beloved son. There leaves no doubt as to the possessive nature of this relationship. This was not some human that God had chosen. This was not some angel, not some random person or other being. This solidifies Christ as the true and only son of God. This is my beloved son. There was that relationship between God and this person that was being baptized, him who was the son of man. It was also a tender relationship. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There was, it shows a great love there, a relationship between the two. There was a closeness. Again, this was not just a divine being, a divine God that said, this is, this is someone who is going to do something for me. There was a closeness in that relationship. This is my beloved son. When we go about in life, there's a difference in the types of love that we have. Some might say, well, I love chocolate, but that's not the same meaning as to when they say, I love my father or I love my sister. And likewise, this was my beloved son. There was a tenderness. There was a, a true, genuine connection, a relationship between the two. This was someone that God cared about. This is someone that God adored. This is someone that God truly saw as one of his own. And again, as well, this was not just his own son. This is not just a son that he had a fondness of. But this was a son that he was well pleased in. Jesus Christ, he was in the world, he was the son of man, but yet he was not of the world. He was the son of man, yet also the son of God, in full perfection, in perfect holiness, in whom I am well pleased. He was suitable and he was able to pay the price of judgment that was demanded. He was suitable and able to fulfill that will that God had for him. He was suitable and able to be that perfect unblemished lamb that would die for us. Again, this is, this is the beginning of the ministry and it's just a wonderful introduction. It sets the scene of who God had sent to earth. It sets a scene and it demonstrates, it's a portrayal of the vast price that God paid for our sins. 
In his sovereignty, God knew what was to come. He knew that on earth Christ was going to die. He knew that on earth Christ was going to be humiliated. He was going to be mocked by his creation. And yet still, he sent his beloved son to die for us. Doesn't it just reveal the depth of that love that he had for us? This was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. This was someone who was perfect in everything, and yet he was willing to sacrifice him. He was willing to allow him and send him to come to earth, to be tortured, to be mocked, to be scorned. For us, his creation who had rejected him. So again, that's, that's just a portrayal of the relationship between God and Christ. There was a perfectness within it. There was, there was a loving relationship. And as, as Christ walked on earth, he got to know, though the, the people on earth got to know him. The people on earth, his disciples, those that followed him, those that listened to his parables, they then had an opportunity to discover who the Son of God really was. And that brings us then to our second passage in Matthew chapter 14. So you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We'll read two passages of scripture um, and just link them together. Now this first is when Matthew chapter 14 verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And just skipping down to verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Peter, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. And then just reading a second passage, you don't have to turn to it, um, in chapter 16 and verse 13 to 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of God of the living God. So by now, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. The disciples have had time to get to know him. They've seen miracles that he's performed. They've had parables explained to him. And yet, Christ's true identity had not been revealed to the general public. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Others said that he was Elijah. Some said that he was Jeremiah. These disciples, they were the ones that had been walking with Jesus through his daily ministry. They'd seen his miracles, 
They'd heard his parables and observed him in all his perfection and righteousness. Parables had been explained to them, especially in ways that others had not been enlightened to. And they obviously recognized that there was something special about this person. And that's obviously why they were following him. However, there was also still lots that was unknown or incomprehensible to them. But yeah, in these, in these two instances, that, in these two passages that we've just read, there were two things that they did begin to recognize. Firstly, it was his authority as the Son of God. We see in that first passage in verse 14 that these were people that were panicking. There was big waves, there was strong winds in the boats that they were. They were afraid, they were worried, they were concerned. And yet all of a sudden they see this man walking on water who gets into the boat and the wind ceases. There was clear authority there that was demonstrated over nature. For it's not a normal man that can walk on the water. It is not a normal man that in his presence nature ceases. There was a recognition that this was no earthly man. For only the Son of God would have such power and such authority. Hence their worship saying, truly you are the Son of God. There was a recognition of the authority that this man had. And secondly, there was a recognition of his person. There was a recognition of who he was in chapter 16. Christ asked them a question. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they responded and said, who generally people thought that he was. But then he asked them what they thought personally. Okay, well, this is, this is what others say. But you, you who have followed me, you who have seen what I have done, who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. There was a recognition there, a true confession, a demonstration of his person. This, this was not a Christ. This was not a son of the living God. This was the Christ. This was the son of the living God. They'd recognized that this was the Messiah that had come. This was the son of God that had been sent from above. There was a recognition of his deity. There was an identification with the Father. There was a recognition of the Lord as Messiah, the anointed one. At the beginning, God declared his relationship and his love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that was beginning to be revealed to the disciples, recognizing him for who he was, the Son of God. For this was not something that, again, it says later on in that verse 17, this, was, this had not been revealed to them for flesh and blood, by flesh and blood, but instead by my Father who art in heaven. We had the disciples slowly recognizing that this truly was the Son of God in all authority and in all person. 
And it portrays as well the humbleness of Christ. Christ, he wasn't here for fame. He wasn't here for recognition. These, these things had been hidden from those that he, had, he was walking with. Instead, there was a humility there. He had come with one purpose, and that purpose was to be fulfilled. And so it's just a question, perhaps for ourselves, is we have been granted the scriptures. We've been given God's word. This has been revealed to us. And it's a question for us is, do we recognize Christ for who he is? Do we seek the scriptures to know more of him, searching and longing for him to reveal himself to us, that we might know more of his righteousness, more of his purity, more of his holiness, that it might be reflected in us. For we have been so greatly blessed, being granted the scriptures to be able to see and learn more about Christ. Um, and slowly these things were revealed to the disciples. But unfortunately, there were others that did not recognize this. There were those that had these things hidden from them, that were blinded, that did not recognize Christ for who he was. And these were the Pharisees. Um, and we, that then comes to our next point in chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? He answered and said, He is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prosify to us, Lord Christ, who is the one who struck you? Here we have the Pharisees and the trial of Jesus Christ, where he reveals and he says under oath to the answer, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? He replies and says, it is as you said. And here there's that fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 
which in Isaiah 53 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. There was no attempt to defend himself here. Here we have Christ, he is, this is the son of God. He has been put on trial, he is before his own creation. You have man that is scorning him, man that is lying about things that he has done, twisting his words, mocking him. And yet he didn't attempt to defend himself against these wrongful accusations. You would think the natural thing is to say, well, no, those are lies. That, that is not true. But he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. This was the Son of God that was accused by his own creation. And yet again, it's that beautiful picture of his submission to the Father's will. Even though he had these lies that were being said against him, he was enduring the mockery and scorn that came with the cross. This was the Son of God. This was the creator of the universe. This was the King of Kings. This was the Messiah. He should have been honored. He should have been given glory. He should have been sitting on a throne with every knee bowed before him. And instead, he was at trial. Instead, he was on trial to determine whether he should be put to death. This was the son of God who had healed the sick, cast out demons, performed many miracles and taught in wisdom, reviled and humiliated. And it's not as if they didn't know. When asked if he was the Christ, the son of God under oath, that was when he opened his mouth according to the Levitical law. For if he was put under oath, he had to respond according to Leviticus 5.1. So he answered and said, it is as you said. He is saying, I am the Christ. It is as you say, I am the son of God. Again, you would expect an entirely different response. You would say, well, we've seen your miracles. We've seen the wisdom with which you teach. All right, you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, well, again, you are worthy of worship. To be in the presence of the son of God would demand awe. It would demand honor. It would demand praise. And instead, he was accused of blasphemy. He was struck and classified as being deserving of death. And this continues today, even in today's world. Man still rejects Christ as God. Man still rejects him as their savior. They reject the praise. They, reject, they don't give him the praise that he deserves. This was not hearsay or rumors or secondhand talk. This was a personal 
direct admission. It is us, you said, the Son of God revealed by his own mouth, and yet he was disbelieved, he was disparaged. And again, it comes back to a challenge for ourselves. This was Christ, the Son of God, who was deserving of praise. In the face of death, he was alone, he was forsaken, and yet he stood fast. Yet he still went and followed the will that God had for him. And the question is, he has done so much for us. He was willing to be put through this humiliation that we might be one of his. And the question is, as we've heard this week of so many that are being persecuted, of such persecution that goes on in this world, are we willing to admit to Christ, even in the face of cost? There is no price that we can pay to compare to the price that was paid for us. So the question is, can we truly say in our hearts, if we were put under oath and asked, are you a Christian, one that believes in the God Most High? Can we say, it is as you said? Is that something that we can honestly respond with by the grace of God? Can others around us, when they see us, can they see Christ in us like the centurion, centurion saw in him? Again, in chapter 27, we have the centurion that has observed Christ hanging on that tree. We have seen the centurion that saw the earthquake and things that happened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. We'll take, we'll take some time to read that again. Um, we're in chapter 27 and verse 45 to 54. Now, from the sixth hour unto the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Here we have the ultimate price that was being paid, the Son of God crucified by man cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're at that climax, we're at the pinnacle of the story. 
It's accompanied, this pinnacle is accompanied by the earth quaking. There are rocks that are splitting open. There is darkness that has come over all the land. And during this, the centurion realized what the Pharisees did not. That this truly was the son of God. There was an acknowledgement that something here was different. Truly, there was something different. This, this, this was a being that had had an immense impact wherever he had gone. He had made the blind see. He had calmed the waves. He had forgiven sins and taught with authority. None else like this had been seen before. The Roman centurion, he'd likely done probably quite a couple of crucifixions before, given it was the Roman Empire. But you wonder how many of them had had this same setting. There had been an uprising of angry Jews that were constantly mocking him. There was a trembling of the earth. There was a man hanging on that tree who cried out to God and then yielded up his spirit. You wonder if the centurion had ever seen anything like that before. I would argue not. As mentioned earlier, this was the beloved son of God, the image of the invisible God, now forsaken, in pain, scorned. And yet, staying on that cross because of his love for us. What a sight that would have been. And when the centurion said, truly this was the son of God, that wasn't necessarily a statement of faith or an understanding of the son of God as Messiah. This was probably just merely used as an acknowledgement of Christ as divine, something supernatural given what all had happened. The centurion would have heard the taunts, he would have heard the jeers, he would have heard the mocks from the Jews going by, taunting him, saying, For he said, I am the Son of God. Unlikely, there was a realization that these words, Son of God, of which he would have had no proper understanding, was an admission that what he was accused of was probably true. To him, to this centurion, the words, the son of God, would have conveyed the idea of one who is godlike in those elements of character which are most divine, of righteousness and holiness and love. Even though he did not know Christ, even though he had not seen Christ's walk on earth, even though he was a Roman that perhaps didn't understand the ways and the laws of the Jews, he recognized him for the characteristics that he portrayed. And likewise, that's just a final thought for us, as I said earlier, that others today in the world, they may not know Christ. 
Others today in the world may still be like those Pharisees that are saying, well, even though we have the scriptures, even though God has revealed himself to us in creation, they still say in their hearts that there is no God. But can they recognize Christ in us? When they look at our lives, do they see him portrayed in our actions? Do they see him portrayed in our intentions? Do they see him portrayed in our attitudes? For again, we are a new creation in Christ. And through continual sanctification, we are to become more like him. So the question that I have for you today is, the centurion, he recognized Christ for who he was by what he saw. And likewise, can others see Christ in you by how your life is and acts? I had the wonderful joy this week of bumping into one of my colleagues from work and discovering that she got saved um, a couple of weeks ago. And as I was talking to her and just sort of how she'd came to that decision, one thing that she mentioned was that it was essentially the difference that she saw in Christians' lives. It was the fact that there was something so remarkable that these people were so set apart, that these people were so different. And now that she herself is a Christian, she said to me, you know, how could it not have been so obvious? You know, how could it not have been so clear that Christ is real based on the difference that she saw in those that believed in him? People are watching us. People are looking to see how we behave. And by the grace of God, by the grace of Christ, we are different. We are a new creation. And may others continually see the difference in us that they might recognize Christ and want to know him too. So again, that's just a couple of, of simple thoughts um, from my meditations on Matthew as Christ the Son of God. Just the beauty of the sacrifice that has been made for us. As God announced at the beginning, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God sent his son that he loved so dearly. He loved us so dearly that he was willing to pay that massive, tremendous price. There is the beauty as well in what the disciples saw in Christ, in his authority and in who he was, him who was no, him who had authority over the world, him who had power, him who was clearly displayed as creator of the earth. There's a beauty in Christ when he stood before the Pharisees as he submitted to the Father's will. He said and proclaimed, truly, it is as you say, I am the Son of God. He fulfilled the prophecies. He admitted to who he was, even in that face of torture and death. He stood that we might stand with him in glory. And finally, the centurion recognized Christ on that cross. As, as, as Christ fulfilled those final years, those final moments, as he paid that price for us, even in those final moments, 
he was visible as the son of God. Such a price was paid for us, and may we never forget it. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, as we come before you this evening, we do just thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the price that was paid that you would send your only begotten Son to die for us. We thank you that even though you loved him so much, you were willing to give him up, for we did not deserve that, Lord. We who were dead in our sins, we who were dead in our trespasses, yet Christ died for us. He fulfilled the will of his Father and went and hung on that tree. We thank you that he, even though he was in all authority, even though he had authority over all the earth, he has revealed himself to us through his scriptures. We thank you for your word that we have today, that we can learn more about Christ, and we pray that we would continually seek after him, that we would seek to become more like him, and that we'd continually grow in sanctification, um, to be continu- that we might be holy as he was holy. We pray that others might see Christ in us, Lord, that they might recognize that there's a difference in our lives, not by our own efforts or by our own works, but by that redeeming love, by that redeeming mercy of Jesus Christ and the work that he does in us. We pray, Lord, that as the Holy Spirit indwells in us, Lord, that we would continue to seek you, that we would put you first above all that we would do, that we would put our minds on things above and not on things of the earth, for how easy it is to be distracted um, by the temporary and pleasures and lusts of this world. But might we have our focus set on eternal things, that we might become more like Christ, building up our treasures in heaven and seeking to glorify him and his kingdom. So again, we do just thank you for the opportunity that we have tonight to be able to open your word. And we pray that you would continue to give us a boldness to proclaim the gospel to those around us. We just pray all this in Christ's precious name who died for us. Amen. Amen.